0: This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week.
1: For as long as she can remember, Randy Barshak has considered herself to be a storyteller. Whether that was through working as a filmmaker or helping produce documentaries, connecting with individuals, and telling a story has always been her passion while she's no longer in the movie-making industry. Today, she helps tell those stories through a different lens. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Randy, now the Senior Vice President of Roleworks, joins the show to talk about her journey into the marketing industry, why ABM is so complex, and why diversity and being able to adapt with the times is an integral part of achieving success. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.
0: Here is your host, Ian Faison.
2: Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by special guest. Randy, what's going on?
3: Uh, lots going on in the world uh, these days. I'm, uh, I'm, you know, sitting at home like many other people uh, watching uh, the world go by but also you know in my new home office uh, busy marketing like I always am
2: me as well uh, with uh, with my neighbor hitting a few uh, hitting a few jumpers in the background so it's a it's a great day to talk about marketing and um, it's you know there's gonna be a uh, a ton of changes in the world and um, and we can learn a lot from the past so I'm excited to get into your current job at Roleworks, and a bunch of your backgrounds. So first, how did you get into tech, technology and marketing?
3: So actually, my background is in um, film and and video production. I started life as a producer. And um, in the early 90s, fell in love with multimedia because that was where the future was going at the time. And so I ended up moving into multimedia production. And my first marketing job was actually marketing technology to multimedia producers. So that was when I made the slight jump. I was still working for a company that produced multimedia and also marketed and sold the the technologies that they had developed. And then finally, kind of all solidified when I went back, uh, got my master's um, in business and um, uh, moved to Silicon Valley in the late 90s. Was fortunate enough to team up with a group of brilliant engineers. And spin a company out of SAP that I joined as a co-founder in the late 90s. And from then, it's been B2B marketing and never
2: looked back. So tell me a little bit about why you were so excited to join Roleworks.
3: You know, it's funny, I've never, um, you know, even though I've been a marketer for quite a f- many, many moons, as we would say, um, I've, I've, I haven't ever uh, worked in the MarTech space. Um, and so it's you know, living that meta world of sort of marketing to people very much like yourselves is something that, um, I had, I had actually found quite uh, daunting and a little bit intimidating. I've marketed to developers, to data scientists, uh, to, you know, deep stack IT professionals. Um, and so I, quite, quite honestly, I was a little hesitant um, when I first heard about the opportunity at Rollworks um, and then um, kept coming in for meetings. So there were a few things I fell in love with. One was the company, just uh, the next role, uh, family of companies in general. um, And not just the products, the technology and products are are phenomenal, but also just the approach. Um, A lot of people talk the talk when they talk about diversity and inclusion. Um, But I really felt like Nextrol um, had nailed it in terms of uh, for a company their size that doesn't have the resources of a tens of thousands of people to be so mindful, you know, was was extremely attractive to me as a candidate. Um, so, that was part of it. I just, I felt really at home every time I went in and met people. Um, but the second reason was, as a marketer, the more and more I learned about the technology, even though I, you know, I, I, I view marketing technology with a little bit of skepticism, I, I just became more and more enamored with, what you could do with the type of technology and an account-based approach driven by digital underpinnings and machine learning. I know that sounds like a lot of buzzwords, but when I actually got my hands on the product and realized the power of of what you could do now at scale in terms of, in a very focused way, reaching your target audiences, I realized um, whether I joined the company or not, I was super enthusiastic about using the product. And And as a marketer, when you believe that deeply in what you're actually marketing, your job becomes pretty easy or relatively easy, I should say. Um, And so that, that was, that was the clincher for me, realizing how much I had fallen in love with the product through my journey of, of getting to know the company.
2: Yeah. We had on Toby uh, a number of weeks ago onto marketing trends. And if our listeners haven't checked it out, I highly recommend you go do that. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of felt the same way. Just you know, learning more about the company and, and the product suite and kind of the origins of the company too, which I think is um, you know AdRoll playing a, a huge you know part in kind of the continued um, evolution of of marketing on the internet. Um, and I think it's cool to kind of come from a um, come from that background and kind of see the obvious needs in the marketplace with specific regard to to ABM. Um, and how data science is going to play a role in that and, and everything. I, I, I tend to agree. Are you, um, well, so what, is, what does your role look like? What are, what, how's your team rate? What are you in charge of?
3: Sure. So I work within the business unit, the Roleworks business unit. As you know, we have three business units. Um, we have AdRoll, NextRoll Platform Services, and Roleworks, which is the account-based platform. And we, we focus on B2B marketers that are looking to take, B2B, sorry, marketers and, and sales teams looking to take an account-based approach in their go-to-market. And as part of that, I oversee um, the full scope of marketing. So that's product marketing, demand gen, which um, it gets really fun when we're the, our, the best users of our own, of our own offering. Um, and then corporate marketing. So that's like the brand, the brand and awareness as when then on top of that, um, partner marketing, we have some really strong partnerships that we have announced and will be announcing, um, and it's a big part of our strategy. So that, those are the main areas, uh, that I oversee, um, uh, within the RollWorks business unit.
2: I want to go back to earlier in your career, starting in video production, um, That's so fascinating to me because you you don't actually hear a lot of CMOs that had a background in that. I'm curious, like, how did that shape the rest of your marketing career? I mean, so much money is spent and potentially wasted on things like that, that having having an inside track, I feel like could be super beneficial.
3: Yeah. So um, I don't know that I would say, well, I guess you're right. So uh, there is money that's wasted, but when it's spent when it's invested wisely, it's not it's not wasted. Um I think, you know, for me it was working in TV, film, video, even multimedia, it 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 just solidified my skill set and also just my absolute passion for storytelling. I I first and foremost describe myself as a storyteller and moving into something um you know, as what something like enterprise software marketing, which before i before I actually got to silicon valley and and had opened my eyes, I really thought this is something that's boring and uninteresting because it's just kind of quote unquote tech stuff. But what I realized is is as a storyteller, it's actually way more interesting to be able to tell stories around things that topics that are somewhat unapproachable and and can be off-putting and intimidating for the audiences that are meant to consume them. So it really stretches you as a storyteller. Um, And so I I think, and, and I often say, it's not just about the video on your website and it's not just about PowerPoint, but you're telling your story through everything from the business cards you hand out to the way the CEO dresses when he or she is up on stage to, um you know the ads you might run or the product the the giveaways you have in a trade show booth if we ever have trade show booths again <laughs> but um it it's all part of your story and so what what i love is that my ability as a storyteller has kind of been stretched from this a linear video or or piece of film that shows up on tv to um something that's multifaceted um we we were at a trade show um the last trade show before um, we were all kind of all the trade shows were canceled for the year. Um, and we were, we were taking, um, we were poking fun at just sort of the standard way people have done marketing, um, and particularly the motions that marketers go through um, when they attend trade shows and don't really think outside of the box. So, um, and what we did was, was our giveaways were um, these candles that we had in our booth and they just said obligatory vendor giveaway. But we also very, um, very intentionally picked a vanilla scented candle because we, we wanted to poke fun at, you know, kind of the quote unquote vanilla aspect of marketing. Um, And our, our play there was we were using our own platform for follow-up. So, so people would see a display ad, um, when they came back rather than being bombarded from our SDR, by, by SDRs with messages. Um, but there, it was the first time I actually used smell to tell the story, right? So, we were we were talking about the kind of, you know, thoughtless, you know, what we call insanity, marketers doing the same thing over and over again. And um, the fact that I, we were able to engage smell and use use a vanilla scent to tell that story, even though it might have been a little bit, Um, of a subliminal message there was really fun. So I, you know, there is, there is no sense that you can't engage when it comes to storytelling. And, and, you know, I think being able to apply that in marketing to many, many channels is, is what I, you know, one thing I love is a storyteller
2: that's fascinating I love the uh, I love the idea of using smell definitely not a um maybe we need some scratch and sniff uh, some brochures. I've taught I've thought about that <laughs> at
3: times actually yeah
2: so what was it about the storytelling piece that you feel like you got right in in uh, as you went throughout your career because I think that that's one of the things that um, when you have to navigate and create those type of stories do you feel like a lot of marketers kind of miss that, especially maybe more of the product marketers, and that aren't really kind of getting that customer experience downright.
3: Yeah, I think um, it really depends. You see so many different flavors of marketers. Um, I I think there was you know, and it's funny because I've now been in Silicon Valley. It'll it'll be over twenty years at this point. You see sort of the the trend of the day. Um, I feel like storytelling at one point was very trendy. Um, and content marketing, you know, sort of about 10 years ago was the hot thing. Um, But then there've been multiple iterations of um, data and digital that, you know, skew more toward the left brain. And it is, you know, that's really important stuff. And it is, um, it's extremely relevant and it is absolutely part of the mix. But in, in some ways I've seen companies that overcorrect for that, and they lose sense of story, or then they go outsource that. um, And so it's not part of the DNA. Um, I, for for better or for worse, I think if you're a storyteller at heart, you can't help yourself. Um, So I, I've never not been able to be telling stories. um, And it's, it's, you know, it's a strength I think I bring to the table when I go into an organization. I do think there've been periods of time where I've seen the market lose, kind of lose their lose the perspective on how important story is. Um, I think they're both important, and, and I'm, I'm I have a feeling at some point I'll get the left brain right brain question because you almost always do. And they really, you can have a strong left brain and a strong right brain, you know, within your organization, and you'll have really good marketing. But if you really can intermingle the two is when you have phenomenal marketing and when the magic happens. Um, And I think that's, that's the, that's the key. But, but recently, honestly, the past couple years, um, I feel like storytelling's the hot thing again. Um, A lot of people will define it as quote unquote product marketing. I think you do see some product marketers that are more methodical. They're about like, um, really good pricing spreadsheets. And again, all of that's part of your marketing mix. I would actually argue that pricing is even part of your story, but it it seems to be back on trend. Um, as so many companies are out there and all doing, you know, variations of things that overlap. When you look at categories, being able to stand out and distinguish, um, oneself is becoming more and more important for companies. So I'm seeing story, the ability to tell a good story kind of becoming more of a trend in the past, uh, in the past like two or three years than it has been.
2: Yeah. I think as the rise of customer experience plays into this, like not just, you know, in the pre-sales prospect phase, but like through the sale with customer success, like you start to get a little depth of the story. I think that that was part of the problem, right? It's like, you know, People get to season one and at the end of season one, the person buys the product, but they forget that there's like, you know, season two, three, four and five um, that, you know, years down the road, what does your product, you know, look like in your customers hands? Like how have they used Mm -hmm. it, you know, year in and year out? Like, I think that that's a really fascinating thing, especially as like legacy systems like move and. You look at technologies that were really popular that now get sunsetted that you know people hate now and uh, hey that was only ten years ago sort of a thing. I think that thinking about things holistically you know through the sale I, th- I think is a, a fascinating um, piece and it and it gets into ABM um, which is how do each of the people within this you know account within this you know buying decision how does it shape each of their careers perspectively or each of their functions within the organization i i think that's fascinating
3: yeah it's fascinating you know it's it's funny and we were you know we were we were talking as we were getting on about um you know people staying at home and and the new work from home culture and i think everyone's um much as this is you know truly tragic what's going on i th- there there's been this like Bit of um, this, like, small point of that, that's very quite refreshing, which is a lot of the pretenses have just gone away because your, your dog's barking or your kids are bugging you. And, you know, I haven't worn makeup in, in a month and a half at this <laughs> point. Um, and I, and I, I think that's trickling into some of the messaging we're seeing as well, which is it's just really refreshing to see. I feel like people are having much more real dialogues, you know, when you're talking to a prospect and you're both sitting with your, your living room in the background um, and these kind of facades and faces that we put on um, when we go into professional environments, sometimes take us out, out of the element of what it means to just be human. And, you know, we're all humans. At the end of the day, we're all just people. Even even those of us in the the most important positions on Earth, right? The CEOs and the the diplomats and you know, you know everyone's just human. And um, I, I think there's maybe an opportunity. And maybe I'm maybe I'm being overly optimistic, or or, or maybe I just have to make a personal promise that um, I've seen our marketing team at Rollworks just. Really, having a great time with being able to drop the pretenses that almost feel that almost feel obligatory in order to sound lofty and sell to somebody you know something that's very um, uh, aligned with your you know vision and ambition and just kind of talk to people as humans and I think we're seeing people being more receptive to that now, um, and I find that really you know, I, I find that really kind of hopeful. Like, I, I feel like maybe we can take the pretense down a few notches when we all get back to whatever our new normal is going to be.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think that ultimately, um, you know, a lot of people are trying to do really hard work and we're all in it together. And I think that obviously there's tons of competition and there's all sorts of other things that go into that, but ultimately, you know, you realize that the impact that your technologies or your products have on, on people is, is profound. And that's what marketing is about. It's about like sharing stories that help people make a decision that, you know, is, is them giving up either their time or their resources to do something that, you know, you believe is in their best interest or, or to give them the tools that can can do that sort of stuff. I'm curious, like how, you know, looking back to when you founded a company, um, you know, back right before a different crisis uh that was that was about to happen um i'm curious like you know juxtapose that from now what what was the how how are you looking at it differently perhaps i'm
3: not sure which crisis you're talking about 9-11 or the dot-com bust <laughs> they were <laughs> i was I, to be
2: oh I, yeah i mean one in this one in the same te- same uh, sides of the coin i guess
3: uh, and it's it's yeah i've lived it's like which one that i've lived through it's going to sound really cliche to say the battle scars are, I think, what make you a better marketer, a professional, or you're going arguably a person. Um, and it's hard when you're going through that. Um, but I, I think you know we we've enjoyed a really good stretch um, in in both Silicon Valley and in the world of technology. And like I said, there it feels like there's layers of pretense that have built been built up and, you know, forgetting, I I think there's been an element of forgetting kind of what we're all about and um, why we're doing things in certain cases. Um, And and so I see this a lot of times, not just in, in marketing technology, but all technology where because it's there, we feel a need to use it and lose sight of what's the problem we're trying to solve in the first place. And again, when you have a period of contraction, whether that's extreme, and this might be something that's extreme, or whether it's just slight, whether, you know, contraction could be as simple as, you know, one person on your team leaves, and, you know, you're one person short, or it could be, you know, you've got a massive budget cut, or the company had a a bad quarter, it could be something kind of more global, like we're seeing now, where we're really going to, you know, go through some... You know, economic changes in the next weeks or months or whatever, um, but it, it 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 forces you to sort of break it down and say, okay, what am I trying to do? Right? I'm I'm actually I'm trying to engage the people and uh, the audiences that I think are are going to have the most likelihood of buying. Um, from me and and I'm trying to do that in the most economical way and it's really interesting for ABM and I'll 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 put myself right out there and say if you had asked me before I became intimately familiar with rollworks about ABM I would have said well it's sort of like um, when you finish getting your CRM up and when you finish getting your marketing automation system up and when when you've done the rebrand and you sixteen other things, and you're looking for kind of the next thing that you should graduate to, and you've got a big team and lots of resources, then maybe you, you start thinking about ABM. Um, and there's this great irony in that ABM is actually it 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 is lofty and, and um, for ambitious people. I mean, don't don't get me wrong, but it's also um, it is the most targeted economical way to go after the people that matter most. And I think that's like a big misconception. Um, so it's, it's interesting as somebody that's pushing, you know, ABM all of the time is, is that um, I, you know, right now I'm trying to break down that myth and the, the misconception that ABM is like for, you know, when you're when you're at the end of the line and looking, you know, to have the most sophisticated marketing mix, and and I would say ABM is actually, um, in many ways, where you should start. If you're a small team, why are you you know, why are you spraying and praying across the whole universe when you can be targeting a very very small subset of people you should be going after? And it's really an economical way to go after things. And I don't think ABM. Had, because it's so powerful, I think we autom- I think the, the industry actually got really exuberant about what it could do, and, and everyone was sort of in this scramble to be the thought leader, and so we put all these big ideas out there, rather than, um, and, and maybe in some ways did a disservice to our own audience, because we didn't position ABM as like, hey, this, this should be step one, not, not step 11. So I don't know, I might've just pissed some people off with that, but, but I.
2: No, no, this, this <laughs> is great. I mean, this is, I think you're, I think, I mean, and again, maybe, maybe this is my bias showing, but I, I think you're totally right. I mean, when you, um, I remember, you know, back when, um, you know, I read predictable revenue and I was like, wait a second, you're going to put your, you know, your, prospects into four quadrants and like at the top right quadrant is most likely to buy and, um, you know, essentially the most qualified ones and you're going to spend whatever 80% of your time just focusing on that quadrant. Like that just made sense to me. Right. And I kind of feel like ABM came around and said, um, was the extension of that, which is like, focus on your target accounts, um, figure out creative ways to engage those folks. Um, and you know, obviously, it goes it goes much deeper than that. But like, of course, that that is what marketers should be doing, anyways, right? Like, if you're talking to everyone, you're probably talking to no one.
3: Yeah, yeah, you are, or you're. You might be saying the right thing to a lot a lot of people that you're just paying money to, you know, fall on deaf ears. Um, so yeah, it, it's you know, I, I had a boss um, a long time ago who was you know. A, kind of a mentor. He really was, he was a mentor to me. Um, and he had, um, he had worked for GE and IBM for decades and decades. So he was really, really experienced. And one of the stories he told me was, um, was he had an account he was trying to land, um, and he couldn't get them to pick up the phone for the life of him. So he finally flew to, I, I don't remember, whichever city they were in and he went to the headquarters and there was a billboard across the street from the headquarters. So he bought the billboard and he put up an ad. And sure enough, however, you know, month later or so, he finally got them to pick up the phone and and he had, you know, and and he closed a multi-million dollar deal as a result of it. So that was probably in the 70s when he did that. But that was ABM, right? And so I do think also ABM, because there's we were so quick to get it out there. There were so many definitions of what it what it is there still are by the way i mean there's definitely not a single definition that people assumed like oh abm is about like i picked i went to the sales team i asked the sales team who their target accounts are they gave me a list and we invited them to a box that we bought at the baseball game that's abm right um and I, again what i what i think with that narrative getting you know pushed out there so deeply what people what, what's really misunderstood is that now with digital technologies and with data science, you can do that level of personalization at scale and kind of it, it's, it's, this is again, going to sound cliche. It's almost as easy as just, you just like push the buttons and let it go. Um, and it sound that sounds not real, but it, it, it is right. So I, I go to bed and I wake up and I, I run to Rollworks and open it up and see like how many of my target accounts did I like, each overnight. Um, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's totally. pretty cool to be able to do that.
2: So when you, you know, kind of in that same vein, as you have been a CMO multiple times, um, what were some of the things that you did earlier in your career that kind of you were banging your head against the wall that weren't working?
3: There's one I there's one I'll never forget. It it still to this day haunts me, but it, it wasn't it wasn't a begging my head. I was I was selling e-commerce software. Um and actually, you know, it's probably um it, it's probably a good example because it was maybe an early attempt at ABM. I was we were I was at a company, we were doing um e-commerce search. Um, and so we were selling uh, to e-commerce providers, and you know, all the great ideas always come like the day after the deadline. So this was like, we, we we finally kind of got ahead of things and we decided we were going to do like a Christmas in July promotion because June, July is when everyone's thinking about what they're going to do for the holidays anyway. So we, we found uh, this place and we got um, Christmas cookies and we were sending boxes of Christmas cookies to um, e-commerce managers at small businesses. Um, and I thought it was just brilliant. Like, you know, no one's really thinking about the holiday season except for, you know, merchandising managers. Um, and, you know, it was really clever and we're gonna send cookies. And so this is this is probably 14, 15 years ago. So it was before the whole gift sending thing had really taken off. We didn't have necessarily the right addresses, physical addresses for people. And we also weren't sure who the e-commerce manager was. If I, if I remember, you're like pulling, the, I'm pulling it out of the cobwebs. And so I remembered like no one was getting the cookies. Like they were going to like the office managers or something. And like we couldn't. And just remember that falling flat. That's not like, so I think you were looking for something a little bit more lofty in terms of like some real aha realization of, of what wasn't working. No, no I love it. <laughs> so that went still clearly you can tell I'm still bothered by that. The same campaign we actually were at a a trade show in I think it was Palm Springs in in June um and in terms of storytelling it wasn't quite the vanilla smell but I we we did a a holiday theme in our booth so it was all set up like um like a a holiday scene. We actually had sort of a 1950s homemaker baking cookies in the booth. Um, and I was determined to make it snow in the booth in July and in wherever we were, I think, again, Palm Springs. And um, so we had snow in the booth. So um, the cookies didn't work, but the cookies that we sent didn't work. The cookies in the booth were actually pretty successful. Um, and I remember we had snow in the booth. So that was, that was one of the more fun events. Um, Making it snow
2: in a booth, what do you think CMOs are getting wrong about ABM right now?
3: First and foremost, there it's just really hard. The industry, if you ask five cMOs what aBM is you'll you'll get six different definitions, right so um i I think there's probably an element of we might think we know what it is, but we might have the wrong definition, right? and i'll i again, I'm just as guilty. Um, I, quote unquote, had ABM at a prior company, but really all it was was attribution at the account level. And it wasn't engagement at the account level. We were just sort of looking at what was happening naturally. And I thought, oh, that's ABM. My head of demand gen, you know, had gone out and bought one of the solutions and here's what it is. And that's kind of cool. I can look and I can marry this to the target accounts versus, Taking a full account based approach to go to market, right? which is um, you know, I, I think what you can do is misunderstood, right? the The degree to which you can actually fundamentally shift your go to market and you you do not have to be dependent on kind of this wide spread, um, massive, you know here's all the leads that come in, and then I sort of winnow them down. and then, as as I'm narrowing those leads down, then I can look to see which accounts matter. I can actually start first with only going after the accounts that matter and investing my dollars in a very targeted way. And that's much easier than I thought it was because of the data science behind that, my ability, or my ability, or you know, platforms like Rowworks' ability to look at the patterns of success understand the attributes of those accounts and those buying committees and then automatically activate against those attributes. Um, You know, before that was an extremely manual process. And it's, I'm not gonna say it's the holy grail because I think there's always sort of a next holy grail, but it it is a holy grail of sorts in terms of being able to really be efficient in your marketing. And And then there's, again, there's this great irony right now of whether we want to be or not, we're all being forced to be a little bit more efficient or a lot more efficient, depending on kind of where your company's at as, as, you know, times are changing in terms of, of, you know, marketing being about investment and less about spend. Right. And and you talked before about, you see these downturns um, and periods of crisis and it's always, you know, the good times are about spend and the, the less good times are about investment. Um, and now you have to preserve that investment, right? Um, there's, you know, some of us, some of, some of us uh, CMOs right now are really kind of, we're having to um, justify our existence, our team's existence. It's so easy to cut marketing. We all know it's a huge mistake um, and it's going to set you up for, you know, trouble moving forward. But um, we have to be really economical about the investments we do make.
2: Yeah, so how do you go about prioritizing, you know, goals and refining strategies when you, when you get that, the call from the, from the boss and she says, Hey, you know, we're going to cut 30% of your marketing spend, spend, like what, how do you, how do you kind of either, you know, push back and say that's, we shouldn't do that. And, uh, and then reprioritize, um, your goals.
3: Okay. So here's, you know, the, the most important thing is to have, your model's handy, so I know exactly what that means. If it's a 10% cut or a 30% cut, I I have got a general feel on my ROI of what that's going to mean. It kind of, in some ways, um, and it brings out the best, it can bring out the best of people as well, right? Okay, you know, here, we. if it keeps going, obviously not, but okay, how can we think uh, smarter? How can we kind of get rid of activities that don't make sense and, and reframe and rethink of things. Um, and, and I, and what you really have to do then is you just have to every single thing you do, you have to be looking for the payback. And if it's really driving the business, it, I mean, it's back to the basics. If you're really driving the business, then um, eventually you're going to be building that back up again. So it's, it's really looking at the activities that are working that are helping either generate um, new leads or accelerating the leads and being able to measure that. Um, And, you know, there's always things that I I feel like being um, uh, an expansion stage company or startup CMO is it's, it's like whack-a-mole, right? Like you're something's terribly broken. You put your attention there and then something else is broke, you know, and then by the, 18 months go by and the thing that was the least broken when you got there is now the most broken because everything else has sort of had a refresh and you have to go back and fix that. So, um, you know, usually there's something that's not where where you've made some investment and it's not really paying off. And so when you're going through a period where you've got to limit activities, you know, that might be something that, you know, you, you dial down a little bit. Um, until things are, are back on track and then you can invest some time and and effort into making it more successful.
2: You spent a bunch of time overseas. Um, and I'm curious, like how did that shape, you know, your marketing, uh, your strategy, your go-to-market and, and your understanding of different cultures and, uh, how marketing is different there?
3: Yes, I did spend quite a bit of time. I spent about 10 years total overseas. Um, and I think what, makes my time really interesting as I spent half of that in Japan and half of that in Israel. And uh, for anybody that knows anything about those two cultures, they're two very, very different cultures. Maybe the two most different cultures on earth. <laughs> like, I be hard pressed to see if they're, if they're any that were, they're less different. Um, and so first and foremost, it just gave me the ability to be really adaptable. Um, in both situations, I was, you know, um, in a culture that was completely different to, to the one I had grown up with. Um, particularly in Japan, I was the only American in a company of 300 Japanese. Um, and, you know, you have to learn to play to your strengths as an outsider and the value you can bring there, as well as um, understand where you need to bend and adapt to fit in, right? And there were there were there were times where I was valued because of my difference, and there were there were times when I um, when that was um, that was working against me. And you have to know when to play those. Um, and then sort of marrying that with a very very different culture, moving to the Middle East, um, and so it's just. It's I, I feel really blessed because it was uh, those experiences were early in my career, and it really allows me to go into any situation and look at it with fresh eyes and a different perspective, um, and never take uh, anything for granted in terms of what's going to work. Right? It's it's about being able to work with frameworks more than playbooks, and being very adaptable and, you know, you talked about leading through times of crisis, and um, it's, you know, it's whether it's the latest industry trend, so whether it's that marketing's now about uh, about data, when it was, you know, and it used to be about content marketing, or now it's about product slash story, and it used to be about data or digital, you know, it's, it's always changing, so it, 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 it's just the ability to kind of adapt to your surroundings and again now the surroundings are we're all in kind of this uh this pandemic boat and having to navigate and i just never i i'm always assuming things are going to be different you know the next go around um and it it it, A, it actually keeps you fresh and young when you've you know you, you you've said you've said several times you're a multi-time CMO. So, you know, we're aging myself a little bit here because yes, I have, I, I've, you know, been at many companies and have held this role many times. And, um, but it's always, what I love is it's, there's always something new, like, and even though sometimes that's nothing you wished or wanted, it, it keeps you young and fresh and the ideas keep coming. And that's, that's really cool. Cause there's some days I think I'll never have another idea. I've had every idea I'm going to. And then, and then you, you know, you come up with the idea to have candles at a booth and tell your story through the smell of vanilla. And you're like, yeah, I did it. I had another idea. So I, every, every night I go to, I go to bed, you know, convinced I'm never going to have another idea. And then sure enough, I wake up in the morning and they're, they're still there. It's kind of nice.
2: That is, yeah, that is the creator's paradox, right? Uh, it's that always fascinates me, as well. Um, and it, and I think it's so important to surround yourself with people, you know, obviously that are different and to have life experiences. Um, you know, they say there's there's no uh-huh. such thing as writer's bro- block; it just means you need to read more. I feel like it's the same thing with marketing, right? It's like there's if you're running out of ideas, you need to go out into the world and experience new things and talk to people and talk to prospects and talk to people yeah. that, you know, don't buy your software or your product or anything like that to, to just understand the world and to have richer experiences.
3: In some ways, I'm really grateful to be at Rollworks. Cause I mean, I was, a I was skeptic, you know, I'm like, I mean, you know, every CMO, you know, listening or or not even CMO, just anyone who works in marketing, right? How many emails do you get a day about, we're going to change your ROI and we're going to, you know, it, it, they're all the same. And I'm like, wait, what are you selling? I can't even figure this out. And so I, you know, I was really skeptical, but um, but then when I learned about what you could do, I became so excited. So I think even my skepticism in this case, you know, I, I, I really felt like, I shouldn't join this company because I'm kind of in, you know, I've got this like cynical East coast and I am from the East coast. This like cynical East coast attitude. Um, but then I'm like, no, but I really fell in love like here. So, you know, I, I've got like a really authentic story to tell here. So, um, even then I think it, it helped to, you know, have that outside new fresh perspective and it's helped me, uh, you know, I, I, you, you mentioned Mashery earlier, which is an API management company. And I remember going to my first meeting with the CEO and I had no idea what an API was. And so I was on Wikipedia like for an hour before the meeting, trying to figure out what, this, what APIs were. And then six months later, I'm running like the API conference, right? So it, it's so much fun to come in. I think that's maybe also the documentary filmmaker in me. You, you take this topic you know nothing about and then you've got to go figure out how you're going to tell the story and translate. Um, and that's, that's fun. So maybe, maybe I've never actually changed careers at all. Maybe I'm just still a documentary filmmaker <laughs> like going in and, and uh, learning about technologies.
2: Okay. Let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like marketing with Salesforce, you can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about everything you need to know, marketing related lightning round questions. Randy, are you ready? Okay. Number one, what app on your phone is the most fun?
3: The most fun. Oh God. Um, probably Amazon. Uh, you could just buy so much stuff with one click.
2: What is your favorite thing to cook or eat?
3: I've been on a bread making bin uh, with the rest of the world, so bread. But my favorite thing to eat when you can go out is dim sum.
2: What podcast or book? Have you listened to or read recently that you enjoyed?
3: I'm reading a lot of fiction right now. So I just read a great book by Lisa C. um, Who wrote The Tea Girl of Hummingbird Lane. Um, It was a nice escapist. Um, So I'm a bit of a fic. I I really love fiction.
2: What about any uh, TV shows or or series that you're binging?
3: I'd like the rest of the world. uh, Tiger King.
2: I mean, as a documentary filmmaker, you have to look at that and just think like, it, this is insane that this is going to be the most popular documentary in like the history of humankind. It's insane.
3: I have one viewpoint as a documentary filmmaker. I'm sure my friends that were psychology majors would have even more interesting. And, and you know what I love about it though is, um, I know this is lightning round, I'm not supposed to pontificate. I just love that Oh, go for the it! The whole—I feel like the whole world's together. Like it's so cool. It's like I think I'm just at heart a village gal, um, and I just love that. Like it feels like everyone. Um, it, I and I got my mom to watch two episodes, and then she she just gave up and admonished me for my trashy, uh, you know, taste in TV. But I love that. I love that you could talk to like almost anyone about it. It and it's like we're just. It's like when the city, when San Francisco tries to get everyone to read the same book, and I I don't know that I've ever seen anyone do it. But it's like, finally, we're all like, doing the same thing. So I love the, I love the village aspect of it. And it is crazy story. I mean, you know, it's, you, you can't make that up, literally.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, they they say that kind of like the the age of um of this kind of like prestige TV kind of genre that ended with like the appointment television of like Breaking Bad and then Game of Thrones and like everyone watching this one show to get caught up in this one moment in time. Um and then that kind of like ushered in this next kind of era. Um I think it's going to be fascinating looking back of, you know, not not to get too clickbaity with the headlines, but like the storytelling, um, you know, storytelling lessons from Tiger King. I think it's going to be if someone does a good job of that post uh, and really goes into it, because there's a lot of fascinating like story elements with this thing that like is is really really interesting uh of the way that they decided to tell it and it's just crazy that it's yeah. true <laughs> i
0: mean it's
3: yeah uh, it, it, and, and then there'll be these like tiny little things that like don't even see much light of day because it's just like not a big deal like uh, there was this whole thread with like the nanny one of them hired, and it was you're not quite sure what's going on, and it, like it barely made it, you know, into the show. It, was, it could have been like a whole documentary on its own, like the oddness there. But it, it's you know everyone's like fighting for the bizarre title there. But yeah, it's a, it's it's sorry I, I didn't mean to like devolve into Tiger King, but. I, <laughs>
2: No, I mean, but this is, it, this is like, this is the thing that I think is so fascinating about content is, is the idea that your marketing department could create anything like that is what's so exciting, right? Like you can literally create anything. You just got to convince, convince, uh, other people in the organization that, that you should convince it. But if Tiger King was created by a zip recruiter, like I guarantee you, they'd be pretty happy, you know? So, um, it, it's a fascinating, um. I don't know if you want your brand associated, but I guess at this point, you know. I mean, it's it's amazing to think that the one of the most successful pieces of content has no ads.
3: Row works at Roll Has nothing to do with Tiger King, and they are not. These are my personal opinions only. <laughs> let me let me be really clear.
2: What's your best advice for a first time CMO?
3: When you're building a team, you should be building for diversity. Um, and again, you talked about my time overseas. Do not hire people that look like you and think like you and act like you. The magic of marketing are the different personalities. And it takes uh, it, it takes experience to know how to manage that sort of medley of personalities and skill sets. But if you don't do that, you might have good marketing. You will never have great marketing if you can't do that. That's your most important job as a as a head of marketing. Um you know whether you're VP or whether you're CMO is to be able to to recognize the talents of people and not be afraid to have people more talented at their discipline as a matter of fact i would say the best thing you can do is hire people for each role that are way better than you would be at any one of those roles and then you'll be a really good cmo
2: what is your hidden talent or passion
3: it's not so hidden but i'm like an avid knitter i love knitting Um, so, uh, I guess that's
2: my somewhat hidden. I don't advertise that. Randy, thanks so much for, for stopping by. Uh, any final thoughts, anything to plug?
3: No, I mean, obviously check out Rural Works. Um, so gotta, gotta plug that, but, um, just hope everyone, you know, stays healthy and safe. And, um, I gave a talk the other day on how our brains work, um, in, both um understanding story as well as in buying and selling and talked about right now all of us are are operating uh to a certain degree with our reptilian brain just trying to survive so um I'm wishing everyone you know good luck and 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 good health in getting through uh wherever everyone happens to be right now and um you know looking forward to the future
2: agreed thanks so much for coming by Thanks, Ian. Take care.
1: Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction, automate engagement with each customer, and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.